This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. You can join us during the week on Fox Business TV, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. Name of the show is Kudlow. And if you can't make it at 4, you can just text your favorite 9-year-old and she'll show you how to DVR the show. And here on the radio, you can live stream us on the Internet, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com, all around the country throughout the world, and the solar system, including the Milky Way. So we're trying to cook up uh, Senator Kevin Kramer in North Dakota, uh, trying to find him out there. Maybe it's too cold. Maybe the electricity went down. Who knows? I want to talk about, while we're waiting, uh, this article by Brett Stevens in the New York Times, which I mentioned with uh, Mark Simone and Joe Concha, um, I know Brett down through the years, very smart guy, um, a, a, a conservative, certainly a foreign policy hawk. All right, we got uh, John McIntyre on the line. He's going to bail us out. John, head of... Larry. Wait a second. I don't get this right. Go to my sheets. John McIntyre, president and CEO of Real Clear Politics and Real Clear Media, and this is going to be a really hot website. It's always a hot website, but now in full swing in the election season. And I've known John a long time. John, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you were around. We couldn't find Kevin Kramer. Maybe we'll find him. Maybe we won't. So, John, I'm looking at the polls, uh, Real Clear Politics, Iowa, and New Hampshire. One thing I wanted to ask you, um, there was this St. Anselm's poll out for New Hampshire, which I saw in Real Clear politics this morning, which showed, um, if nothing else, Haley's momentum, so-called, quote-unquote, Haley's momentum seems to have stopped. Uh, actually, she I think she lost a point and Trump picked up a point uh, relative to last month in December. How do you read that story in New Hampshire? Um, I, I think that St. Anselm poll the way you describe that is, uh, it, it is, is probably somewhat close to the reality on the ground there. Mm. Uh, I, I think, uh, I, I think Haley definitely had momentum there, um, going into the end of last year, you know, so November, December rolling into new years. Uh, and she, and she, she clearly, you know, had moved, you know, completely into second place. Uh, you know, Trump was under 50 percent. So I so I think she pu- had pulled to within to within 20 points. Um, y- y- you know, the question is, you know, you had a CNN poll that showed at 39, 32. Mm. Uh, but then you've got you've got a poll by by Suffolk uh, for USA Today. And, and Suffolk's a pretty good as a pretty good polling record. 
during the exact same period of time, and, and they had the race 46-26, 20 points. So, you know, our, our, the Real Clear Politics average has it at 14 right now. That's, I think, about where it is, a 15-point Trump lead. Um, so I, 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 I think that's where it is. I, I think the, you know, the pro-Haley side is hoping for, hoping for a second place in Iowa um, and, and then to kind of take that and, and build momentum from that to, to try to like to try to make it close and maybe, you know, pull off an upset in New Hampshire. I think she hurt herself in that debate. Actually, I think both she and DeSantis, but I think she hurt herself a lot. I mean, that debate was, you know, John, they just killed each other, frying each other's brains out. And here's Trump taking the high road, right, with, right. with Brett Baer and Martha McCallum on the Fox Town Hall. Uh, first of all, getting at least twice the number of eyeballs. But Trump taking the high road, no retribution. We're going to have successes. A lot of good answers on abortion and so forth. And the two of them killing each other. I don't know. I, I mean, I think Trump was a big winner. The Daily Mail poll showed Trump is a big winner for the whole event. I mean, well, yeah, no, I, I mean, in some ways, in some ways, that night was like a microcosm of, of, of the whole primary to date. Right. You know, I mean, it's 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 really um, it, it it's been for a long time now a battle for second. Mm. OK. And, and Donald Trump has has effectively run a campaign as an incumbent president. Uh, and, and I mean, you saw that. I, I mean, it's, you know, it, I mean, in a truly competitive primer, in a truly competitive contest before the Iowa caucuses, you, you would not have a situation where, 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 where the leading candidate just was not participating in the debate. I mean, and, 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 and particularly, you know, uh, Trump's performance on, on, on Fox on that town hall just seemed very relaxed mm very comfortable like i think he knows he's clearly in control in command is going to be the nominee uh you know so when we talk about haley momentum and all these things what what we're really talking about is just how quickly the nomination gets wrapped up if if haley gets a strong second she does well in new hampshire yeah, maybe this can kind of continue on into South Carolina and two for Tuesday, but Donald Trump's going to be the eventual Republican nominee. So it's it's just a question: does it does it go out into Super Tuesday and a little longer, or does, does Trump have a big win Monday night? Does he follow it up with a win in New Hampshire, and and, and this thing's effectively over? I'm as, um, I'm yeah. assuming, John, and, and I I don't follow this as closely as you do, but. Uh, Trump has organization nationwide. He's, you know, lots of states. I don't, uh, you know, he's got big shots. He's got, you know, governors, senators, House members. Um, and for example, Florida, Nevada. But he's got people endorsing him, uh, you know, big names endorsing him. In other words, I don't, does Haley and or DeSantis have the kind of national operation that Donald Trump has? Yeah, and it's well, it's and it's not just national operation. It 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 it's that. I mean, Trump's at sixty percent. He's at sixty one percent of the real clear politics national poll average. Mm. I mean, he's got he's got well over fifty percent of Republican voters who want him to be the nominee. And 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 you know, DeSantis, even if he surprises and does a little better in Iowa Monday night, like he's in 
fourth or fifth in New Hampshire. He's doing terribly there. He's got there's nowhere he's going to go to. Uh, and so like that, that's not really a real threat to Trump. Mm. And the thing is with Haley, you know, Haley has a ceiling at some point, like, like the major, you know, if it gets into a two person race, okay. The major, you know, more Republican voters prefer Donald Trump than Nikki Haley mm. overwhelmingly. So it, it, and that's your point about nationally, like Trump's lead is just, it's, it's too large, uh, um, He's well over 50 percent. He's been over 60 percent for some time now. That that's why it gets back to my point. It's like I I, I think, you know, the New Hampshire prime is the New Hampshire result, you know, in 10 days is interesting. But it's interesting only as so much to how quickly Donald Trump wraps up the nomination. Uh, and that's important because in a general election context, the sooner, you know, the, the, the sooner the Republicans can decide on their nominee and get behind them and, and work to get the party unified, that's going to increase that's going to increase their chances of winning in the general election. John, going into uh, Iowa, and New Hampshire, in the Republican side, biggest issue in your judgment, single biggest issue is what? Well, even though it, I, I would say it's the economy, I really think so. Um, I mean, obviously, people talk about the border and the illegal immigration issue, but but I but I but I think the I think the economy is what is what drives voters at the end of the day, and I think that's what's really re- redounding to to Donald Trump's benefit. People remember how things were four years ago before COVID came, mm. and. Um, and I think and I, I in many ways, you know, that that's Trump's strongest asset right now is that they remember where the economy was. They remember how their personal finances were, their 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 kitchen table issues. And then the other thing in the news is just all the chaos going on in the world. Everything we see in the Middle East, the Ukraine thing. None of that was going on four years ago uh, when when Trump was president. So. Um, I, I think, you know, the single biggest, biggest issues the, is, is people's pocketbook mm. I- issues. Um, you know, may, maybe the illegal immigration border issue second All right. for Republican voters. John McIntyre is president and CEO of Real Clear Politics and Real Clear Media. you got to go to Real Clear Politics every day, folks. There is more information and articles and polling data. <laughs> it's so important. John, thank you. We appreciate it very much, buddy. Folks, take a quick break. And yeah, we did find Senator Kevin Kramer in the wilds of North Dakota or someplace. So we're going to take a quick break and Kevin Kramer will be with us on the other side. Straight ahead. Stay with us, please. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. 
With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. So now we found Senator Kevin Kramer from the great state of North Dakota. Welcome back, Senator Kramer. Well, it's good. To, it's good to be back. It's also good to be back in North Dakota, even though the temperatures are uh, well below zero. That would be below zero degrees Fahrenheit, um, and uh, that's to say the, the air is fresh. Global freezing. Where's John Kerry now that we need him? Global freezing. Invite Kerry. Invite Kerry to North Dakota so he can understand why global warming emergencies are a hoax. Oh, boy, would that be good. But uh, John Kerry only goes to convenient locations with convenient messages. Oh, all right. Senator, I wanted to – we're not going to have as much time as I'd hoped. But look at – the U.S. and Britain hit the Houthis. I don't know what good it did or what good it didn't do. I'm just reading, uh, looking at the Fox News website, Turkey just hit Syria and – Iraq. Now they're going after the Kurds. That's an ancient rivalry, yeah. but uh, there are oil fields that were hit, and the Red Sea, mm-hmm. you know, to some extent could be about oil. But oil prices haven't really moved. They spiked a little yesterday, and then they came back down. How do you read this whole story? I mean, oil just doesn't seem to want to move. No, I mean, oil's at a pretty good price right now, but, and, and if it would stabilize there, and then, you know, we'd have probably plenty of production and plenty of demand. But I think for now, there's, there's, the demand is, is down and it's uncertain and the supply is up pretty high. So, you know, short of a, a more major event in the Red Sea and, and, uh, or, you know, it's somewhere in the Middle East, um, or perhaps some sort of a major storm even in the Gulf Coast, it, it seems to me that, that oil sort of stable for now and that, that the investors are, are laying back to see, you know, what the near term and midterm future holds. I, I expect that demand is going to go up Larry and, and that there'll be a, uh, an increase in price. But if there's a major event in, in the middle East, a major red sea event, and by the way, that raises the issue of why we have a strategic petroleum reserve, not so that um, Joe Biden can try to manipulate price for his political gain. But anyway, another topic, um, but short of, you know, I think that if there's a major event like that, you could see it, you know, you could see 90 to a hundred dollar uh, oil again, but um, none of us are hoping for that, quite honestly. Did this Houthi attack come to anything? Did it mean anything? I was talking to Robert O'Brien, you know, former mm-hmm. national security. Sure. I mean, he said we hit a bunch of mud huts, but unless we go after Iran, we haven't done anything. So that's I think that's the fundamental problem, Larry. You, you, for one thing, we don't even we, you know we don't even respond until our, there have been about ten or more attacks on one of our um, you know installations, and even then we try to respond in a way that's more timid than the original attack. So until we go after the, the head of the snake, 
the snake's just going to continue to do what the snake does. And so I'm not advocating, you know, an assault on Tehran tomorrow or anything like that. But clearly what we're doing is not a deterrence at all. I mean, there's a, a wonderful North Dakota lane in Walter Reed Hospital right now. It's, uh, you know, an ICU because of, uh, you know, because of what's going on in the Middle East. Um, and uh, we're, uh, you know, we're saddened, saddened by that. And uh, and yet the response hasn't done anything compared by compared to what uh, what they're trying to do to us. So I don't think it's been adequate, Larry. I think most most of us think it hasn't been adequate. And certainly Robert O'Brien would know more than most of us combined would know about it. Remember, I mean, you were in the White House when, with Donald Trump. We didn't have these types of problems with Iran. They knew, you know, who was in charge. They had a respect and a fear for the commander in chief. And right now we have a commander in chief that doesn't even know where's his uh, secretary of defense is half the time. So I, I, I just, it's dysfunction and it's unserious and, and we need to get a lot more serious. The Lloyd Austin story, I mean, everybody wishes him well in terms of his medical problems. Of course. I, of course we do. But other than that, it's a very bad story. And, you know, begs the question, who's making these decisions? I mean, is the Defense Department making these decisions? Hard to know. You got junior staffers at the National Security Council making these decisions. Does Joe Biden know about these decisions? I mean, there are wars out there in Ukraine and the Middle East, and there's, you know, side wars with the Ukraine and Houthis and Hezbollah. They're not such side wars, but right. they're not the main war between Israel and Hamas. But the point is, what does Biden know? And who's running this thing? Well, for sure, a couple of things come to mind. First of all, there's a wonderful interview with Leon Panetta, of course, former uh, Secretary of Defense and former, uh, um, you know, White House Chief of Staff uh, for Barack Obama, and he he lays it out pretty well. And one of the points he makes, and obviously he doesn't trash the Democrats, but one of the points he makes is that that there's a too much of a concentration of power inside of the White House, and I I think that's exactly right. When you don't even miss your Secretary of State for or your Secretary of Defense for a week at mm. the hearing. At the briefings, you know, that says something. But when your secretary of defense doesn't feel it's important to let the commander in chief know that he's in the hospital or incapacitated, that says something about the commander in chief or, or, or at least the regard they have for that person. So it's hard to say which end of this value chain is the most messed up. But the reality is that, to your point, the world is, is as dangerous today as it's ever been in my lifetime. And we need we need a commander in chief and the secretary of defense and a whole bunch of other people, joint chiefs of staff and, and right on down the line to, to, to be on top of their game. And right now it appears they're barely in the game. Last minute, Senator Kramer in Taiwan, the uh, nationalist won Vice mm. President Lai Ching. Uh, he's not the guy Beijing wanted, which means he's the guy we wanted. Right. How do you read that That's one right. quickly? Well, I re first of all, very good for Taiwan, very good for the United States, and I think very good for the world. And as important as who won that election is the fact that they have a free and open election. Mm. And that's important for freedom-loving Americans to understand as we look at the geopolitical challenges in front of us. And once again, whether it's military or statecraft or trade, um, energy, uh, th this was a good victory in, in, uh, in lots of ways. That's a great point. No, no, the democracy point is a terrific point. Senator it's Kevin Kramer, we appreciate it very, very much. Be well. Folks, we'll take a quick break. And then on the side of the break, you know what? We still have inflation. And we're going to talk to John Carney of uh, Breitbart Economics. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back.
from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We still have inflation problems. And I think this idea that the Fed is going to be slashing its Fed funds target rate multiple times this year may prove to be a bad bet by the bond market. But let's bring in John Carney, Breitbart economics editor and uh, co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest, which is a must-read. John, welcome. You know, I'm looking at some of the stuff you've got. First of all, my pal Rick Santelli, who's a wonderful guy, it takes a dollar nineteen in twenty twenty three dollars to buy what a dollar bought pre COVID. That's an interesting point. Nineteen cents. Inflation is very important because it, it 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 reminds us to look at inflation not just as what happened last year, but what's happened to us over quite a few years because that's how it impacts households and families. No, that's right. That's exact. Is it right? You know, it's funny. We always think of it in terms of. Um, uh, under Biden, so you could base it January. So the CPI is up about 17% since January of 2021. Maybe we should be basing it from the end of 2019. I think that's probably correct. Um, I, I Personally, I think CNBC didn't let him do it just by but just Biden's term, and that's why he did it 2019. Uh, but there is, <laughs> you know, they said, no, it's too political. Yeah. But 2019 for a lot of people was the last normal year. So I do think that makes sense. By the way, there was no inflation in 2020. So, you know, it probably doesn't make much of a difference at all whether you start your counting in 2021 or started in 2019. Um, the, the, but yeah, that, that was the last year people experienced things as normal. And I think that that is when they think about normal prices they probably have the mindset mm. of 2019 and big deviations from that is what bothers them so you much. You know, don't forget my pal Santelli, who's really a lovely man. He was uh, one of the founders of the Tea Party, remember? Absolutely. I, I, I watched it live yeah. the morning that he announced, yeah. we are starting, we are having a Tea Party. Yeah. It was pretty exciting, and yeah, he got it going. I remember that night, I... I had him on my show, my old CNBC show, uh, just to clarify what he was doing. But it took. Now, your other pieces here, inflation has been stuck in high gear uh, for six months. Now, you wrote an interesting piece on the producer price index, maybe a little technical for us here on the radio. <laughs> that was a good piece, It's a treatise on the producer price index. Yeah. If anybody ever wants to know what is this thing and why isn't it the CPI, if you read the New York Times or, or frankly, any other financial press, you will not find out what it is because none of them know, apparently. Right. I, you know, I read through all the reports. They all got it wrong. I explained what the difference is. and It is too technical to go in here now. But, again, if anybody, you know, really wants to know what PPI is, they can read last night's Breitbart. Yeah, no, it's very good. Intermediate demand index, pretty close to what final demand could be. But you're right. You know, you could just look at commodity prices. But anyway, the the bone crusher was, uh, when did it come out? Thursday. The CPI was higher than people thought. And I guess your point is, after coming down for many, many months, now it's leveling off, and it's leveling off uh, at close to 4% on core, which is twice the Fed's 2% target. So... That's right. There, there, it's the, the idea that we were on a glide path to 2% is, 
really seems to, you know, that's still the market's mindset. It still sees five rate cuts next year, which you have to think means that inflation would keep coming down. But we really haven't been, there hasn't been much disinflation happening since last June or July. Mm. Uh, We're sort of stuck in a holding pattern. And by the way, some people like Mohamed El-Aryan, he says, well, the Fed should just target 3% instead. Mm. And everything would be a lot easier. You know, which, of course, it's easier, you know, if my... If my wife tells me, hey, you know, I need you to, you know, you got to get out there and mow the lawn. And I say, well, you know what, I'm just, and I do half of it. And I say, well, that's my target. I was only going to mow half of all. Then the job's done already, right? Like, yeah, it would make things easier, but it would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. This is the first time the Federal Reserve's 2% target has really ever been challenged, where they, you know, where they went above it and they're trying to bring it back down. To give up on the target now would actually destroy their credibility. Because how would the three percent target have any credibility if they if we know that they caved the first time they had trouble getting it back to two percent? Well, so you're at three point four percent twelve month change, and core is three point nine, and then you know, John, going down um, services, which includes um, labor costs more than most of the other categories, so. Services up 5% last 12 months. Services X energy up 5.3. I mean, I'd keep an eye on that if I were the Fed because, um, you know, that's a big part of the economy and nobody else wants to look at it, but they're supposed to look at it. Not look at all the woke DEI classifications. We did a whole segment on that on the TV show, which is the worst thing I've ever seen. But this inflation, embedded inflation, yeah, and so what are the problems right now? And this is why I think that inflation is not going lower and it's probably going to go higher. You know, I'm forget maybe January will go a little lower. January is a funky month. Um, but, you know, over the next six to eight months, it's not going lower. It's probably going higher. Uh, one, we're not going to get any more goods disinflation. We got some of that from the clearing up of supply chains, the repairing of the way things are made, nearshoring items that were made in China. That's not going to – that's over. That progress, you know, that probably took us from 9 down to 5% inflation. Mm. The, goods, the goods part isn't going, isn't going any lower. The services part does not seem to be – that was where they needed the disinflation to come from next. If you look at either the CPI or the PPI, there's no sign that services inflation is coming down. And why should it? We have 3.7% unemployment. If you look at jobless claims, they're at around 200,000. That's not coming down. The pressure is not coming down. So we are going to see uh, sustained higher inflation because there's no more goods disinflation. and And we haven't been able to achieve a softening of the labor market. So, you know, from all this, I think um, the bond market bet, uh, the futures market, that you're going to have, I don't know, five rate cuts or maybe more. I don't know what the latest is. Uh, the Federal Reserve itself with their, um, with their economic projections. The Fed has three penciled in now. Right. The market has five. What the heck? Think- How can you do that with these kinds of numbers? I think both of those are wrong. I think right unless we get something super unexpected weak happening, 
I can't see them really cutting in March, even though the market thinks there's a 60 to 70 percent chance of that happening. I think they're going to aim for a May cut. The May cut could get derailed if inflation starts to pick back up, which I think it will. But so they they try to cut in May. Maybe they cut in March, but I don't think that the five cuts the market has in is realistic. And I think they may even have trouble getting three cuts in. I think it may be a one and done. Mm. They cut rates, see what's going on in inflation, see that it's picking back up and say, okay, we can't do that again. They, they are at risk of repeating the mistakes of the 1970s where the Fed kept de- thinking that they had defeated inflation, cutting rates, and then having to raise them even higher than they had gone before because inflation took off again. And, John, I think, you know, if the Fed starts cutting rates before they hit their 2% target, the risk of politicizing the Fed, uh, they're going to get called out on it by Republicans uh, all over the country, and including myself. Now, I, I, I have a counter view here. I think Jay Powell um, is going to be stronger than s- some others think. I, I, don't, I don't think he want. first of all, I don't think he wants to be renominated for a third term. Um, and I think he understands the politics very, very well. And he knows that if he starts cutting rates and the actual inflation is still above target, you know, he'll be accused of juicing the economy to reelect Joe Biden. I don't think Jay Powell wants that. He doesn't want it. And there's no reason for it. There's not a there, we haven't the unemployment's at three point seven percent. There's no compelling reason right. to cut. Mm-hmm. So why take the risk of having this immense, possibly institutionally threatening backlash that mm-hmm. will come? Remember that the Fed's dual mandate is set by legislation. Congress put that in place in the 1970s. It can be changed. Congress can control the Fed without interfering with its independence. I'm not saying Congress should set monetary policy, but they could tell the Fed, for instance, you know what, you have to target 2% and you cannot cut rates when you're above 3%, right? Mm -hmm. They could just pass a law or they could take away the employment mandate altogether and say, your only job, the ECB has one mandate, your Mm -hmm. only job is price stability. And I don't think the Fed wants Congress to start passing laws that restrict the Fed's actions. And that's really what they're You're risking right. if, they, if they get political. That's what will happen. When they don't need to. You'll get guys like French Hill on the Banking Committee, Financial Services Committee. They'll jump all over it. So I agree with you. So, folks, John Carney, uh, Breitbart Economics Editor and uh, Breitbart Business Digest every day. Uh, you got to follow this thing. It's the best uh, product of its kind. John, thank you ever so much. Folks, we'll take a quick break, and then the great Roger Stone, political analyst, supreme. All right? He's going to come in and give us some of his wisdom on Iowa, New Hampshire, and the entire race. I'm Kudlow. Roger Stone up next. Larry Kudlow. Back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow, and we're going to talk to Roger Stone, longtime political consultant and strategist to a number of campaigns. 
Going all the way back to Richard Nixon. He is the host of WABC Radio's The Roger Stone Show, Sundays from 4 to 6 p.m. And his website is stonecoldtruth.com. Roger, welcome back. Happy New Year. I um, We talked earlier in the show about this. I want to get your take on it. I think that Donald Trump had a terrific night Wednesday at the Fox Town Hall meeting. I think Haley and DeSantis, particularly Haley, had a terrible night beating each other up to death. I think Haley's momentum that she had in New Hampshire has stopped. I think Trump's momentum has intensified. And I think he's going to take Iowa and New Hampshire comfortably. Now, that's my view. You know more about politics. Tear it apart. Go on ahead. Well, I think, Larry, you're essentially uh, right. First of all, 5.3 million people watched Trump's town hall on Fox, where fewer than 2.3 million people watched uh, the slugfest between Haley and DeSantis on CNN. Uh, Secondarily, uh, new polling, late polling, kind of final polling, shows Trump finally breaking the 50% barrier. He's at 53 in the big data poll uh, with Haley and DeSantis uh, in a in a head-to-head 17 to 17 dead heat for a distant second. Uh, the weather is extraordinarily inclement. It's very cold, but uh, Donald Trump is not making the mistake that Ronald Reagan, the last great tax cutting president we had before Donald Trump, made in 1980 by leaving Iowa early. In fact, despite the bad weather, Trump intends to fly in tonight uh, into Iowa and stay there through the caucuses Monday night. Mm. So he's taking nothing for granted. Uh, This is one of those things where people need to understand the difference between a caucus and a primary. You don't just walk in, vote and leave. You have to sit, you know, in a drafty fire uh, hall or community center or public school or wherever the caucus is being held for an hour. Uh, to cast your vote. There's far, far more intensity among the Trump supporters. They are deeply dedicated. A blizzard would not keep them away. Uh, I I think you are right. So the real question will be Trump will win. The question is who emerges as a distant second who will then get the media buildup. I mean, I can see, I, I don't think this will happen, but if Nikki Haley surpasses DeSantis, which is possible, the headline will be, DeSantis, uh, pardon me, Haley defeats DeSantis in Iowa upset, subhead, much smaller letters. Trump comes in first as expected. <laughs> you can always count on the fake news media. I think DeSantis can beat her in Iowa. I think she I think, destroyed I, I herself in the last debate. I, I know hardly only a couple million people watched it. Over five million people watched the Trump town hall at Fox. So, yeah, I get that. But. I think of those that watched it and the write-up of it was so bad, Roger. I think it really hurt her. Uh, look, I agree with that. I think she's fully exposed. Her foreign policy is a is a pale version of the Biden foreign policy. I think people now get that. Uh, uh, she's the she's the uniparty neocon mm. Bush candidate. I called her on my show, Dick Cheney in heels, uh, <laughs> and I do think DeSantis damaged her. And neither one of them did any damage to Donald Trump. Right. So in this case, uh, I, I think that uh, you, I think you are right. Now, 
She's hoping for an upset victory. She knows that independents can vote in New Hampshire. She has the strong support of the governor there, Chris Sununu, uh, who, uh, whose father, John Sununu, was once governor. He lied to me and Jack Kemp and Senator Bob Dole for 11 straight months, insisting he had no commitment to George Bush. That was way back in 1980. So it's called Doug reruns in that family. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't think uh, I don't think she, I think she's done. Uh, and neither one of these candidates has the resources to go to the next round. So I agree with you. I think Trump wins Iowa comfortably on Monday night. I think he will then go on to win New Hampshire comfortably. And then he 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 he, he runs the table. He he wins oh, yeah. the Nevada, which is now a beauty contest primary. But he also sweeps the caucuses the same day. Uh, and then he goes on to win big. Uh, and finally puts Nikki Haley away in her own home state. So I, one thing interesting to me, remember when the uh, so-called evangelical leader, what's his name, Bob Vanderplatz, if I have that right, he endorsed uh, Ron DeSantis. Everyone was talking about how important that was, blah, blah, blah. But it looks to me, and some polling, that Trump is going to win big time among evangelicals in Iowa. Look, we, we're, we live in the age of mass communications, and individual evangelical Christian voters are not a flock led by any one person. Mm. They make up their own minds. Uh, and Trump I, did extraordinarily well among evangelicals in Iowa in 2016, despite the fact that he didn't have any of the big-name pastors at that time. He didn't have any of the big-name evangelical Christian endorsers. Now, Ron DeSantis paid $95,000 for that contribution or that endorsement in the form of a contribution to uh, Mr. Vanderplatt's nonprofit. Uh, some would refer to that as 30 pieces of silver. So <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I just don't think endorsements matter with one exception. I've been in this business 45 years. There's only one political endorsement I've ever seen actually pack a wallop. And that is the endorsement of Donald Trump. If you don't believe me, just ask uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. He could tell you all about it. (laughs) Okay, good. Um, The other thing is some people are saying, well, Chris Christie had 12 percent of the vote in New Hampshire. Now, recent polls show it's down to nine. But that's going to transfer to Nikki Haley and give her a leg up and close the gap against Trump. I mean, I think that's baloney. First of all, Christie hasn't even endorsed Haley. He said something nasty about her. She's going to get smoked. But you can't just transfer votes like that. That's not how polls work. That's not how voters work. Well, I think it is accurate, uh, if you look at the polling, that the choice of most of the Christie voters, the second choice is Nikki Haley, but the second choice of most of the DeSantis voters is Donald Trump. So if if DeSantis uh, and Christie are essentially would be eliminated for the New Hampshire round, Donald Trump gets most of the DeSantis votes, which I think cancels out anything Nikki Haley would pick up from the withdrawal of Chris Christie. And as you point out, uh, Christie has not uh, endorsed her. Then I also think Vivek Ramaswamy, who's very interesting. Actually, he's on my WABC radio show, The Roger Stone Show. Tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern, people can listen at WABCradio.com. Great interview. He really, really slams uh, Nikki Haley because we pre-recorded that due to his 
uh, tough campaign schedule. But uh, where is he going to come out in this? In other words, I think he he overperforms a little bit in Iowa, but Mm. not so much that it hurts Trump. Uh, And then we have to see what he does in between Iowa and New Hampshire, whether he stays in the race. Uh, Mm. But those votes most definitely would go to Trump. All right. Roger Stone, everybody. Terrific stuff. Radio show Sundays, 4 to 6 p.m. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate it very much. Folks, we're going to take a break. Other side of the break, we're going to do some stock market work. I'm Kudlow. Please stay with us. 